0: Readings Podcast. My name is Leanne Hall. I am a bookseller at the Readings Kids Bookshop and I'm really, really excited today to have a very esteemed guest with me in the studio. Um, My guest is Amblin Quay-Mulliner, who's an Aboriginal writer and illustrator who comes from the Balgu people of the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Uh, Amberlynn an author and illustrator of a number of award-winning picture books as well as the YA dystopian series The Tribe. Amberlynn's books have been published in the United States, South Korea and China. Um, not only is Amberlynn a prolific commentator on diversity in children's literature, um, she's also a law academic at the University of Western Australia. Um, and this morning we're going to be talking predominantly about a wonderful new anthology that has just been published in Australia called Meet Me at the Intersection. Um, Amberlynn has co-edited Edited this anthology uh, with Australian author Rebecca Lim. Um, and welcome to the studio, Anvelyn. Thank you very much. It's lovely to have you here. Would you be able to just give um, everyone just a quick rundown on what Meet Me
1: at the Intersection is? So Meet Me is, at the Intersection is an anthology of own voices stories. So these are stories by marginalized writers writing to their lived experience. And it arose out of an initiative that Beck and I started called Voices from the Intersection. So Beck and I, I think it's fair to say, were both angry. We were angry at the pervasive exclusion of marginalised voices from kids lit and we wanted to do something about it. And we didn't have any money, we still don't. We didn't have any time, we still don't. But we thought, well, we can, we can try to do something and we can probably try to do one to two things a year that just creates some opportunities for marginalised writers to speak. And so that's what we've been doing and our thing for this year is the publication of this anthology. Uh, but I think one of the things that's important about Voices from the Intersection is how this all started because I think there's some people in this life who you meet and it's as if you already know them. Yeah. Like you've been best friends at school and you've somehow lost touch and you don't realise how much you miss them until you see them again. You think, oh, there you are. Yeah. So I met Beth Glimm for the first time at a dinner here in Melbourne a few years back and I thought, there you are. Great. And so what lies at the heart of Voices from the Intersection, what created it and what keeps it going is a friendship between two women of different cultures fighting the good fight for justice in literature.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> I was actually really curious to know um, how you and Beck first came to meet. So, obviously, you talked about some pretty meaty, meaty stuff at that first
1: Yeah, dinner and since. That you met so, we at. talk by phone all the time, but we live on different sides of the continent. Yeah, so you're so. in Western Australia <laughs> yes. and Rebecca's in Melbourne. Um,
0: you obviously. Come from, I guess, a similar place politically. Um, at the very start of starting Voices from the Intersection, was there some um, reluctance on either of your part to to sort of take up this mantle? As you said, it's it's non profit, it's volunteer run. You you squeeze this in around your other things. Like, was there a discussion of like? Is it going to be us? Like, are we the people to do this thing in Australia? Well,
1: I think we'd both been talking for some time and and commentating on these issues. And I I think one of the things that emerged out of that in in both our, our practice of how we engage in this space is the importance of being who you say you are. Yeah, uh, And we were both people who had been saying for some time, we need more marginalised voices in literature. Uh, and so it was important to us that even with the limited resources we have, that we live that value and that we take action to do something about it. Yeah, great.
0: Um, so voice one of the initiatives that Voices from the Intersection um, did do is a pitching event, um, which happened, I think it was a few years ago. Um, and this is kind of the anthology or the collection that perhaps has spooled out of that pitching event. Um, would you be able to tell our listeners about what that pitching event, yes, event
1: well, involved? Yes, well, Beck primarily organised that because that yeah. was here in Melbourne and I was in Perth. Yeah, uh, and We did initially say, oh, maybe we could have a pitching event in Perth. But I was like, well, all the publishers are in Melbourne, so that would be a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah And we certainly obviously can't be flying people to Perth to be at a pitching event. Uh, so Beck organised that and it was it was really successful. It was a chance for marginalized writers to connect with publishers to have the chance to pitch their stories and to talk about what they wanted to write and how they wanted to go about it we would like to run another one we would like to try and reach more people so we've talked about maybe a virtual pitching event which would enable us to uh, get across the country rather than being confined to the physical place where most of the publishers are located which puts us on the east coast
0: yeah i guess part of the marginalisation that can happen in Australia, which is a pretty big country, is not everyone has the means or the ability to Very leave their so. daily life and travel to a major city and, and attend such an event. Um, did the anthology um, come directly from that ev- event in the sense that did a
1: lot of the authors that attended that first event end up being in the collection? No, it, it didn't. So it, it, the anthology was a separate project. So we yeah. started talking about that as, okay, what are we going to do next? You know, And we came up with the idea of an anthology and really just decided to to give it a go, basically. Uh, We encountered a lot of difficulties along the way. The primary one was getting someone to publish it. So we had a lot of conversations with a lot of publishers uh, and they either – didn't want to publish it or they only wanted to publish it if we made everybody write memoir and that's a real problem when it comes to marginalised people telling their stories. So in relation to Indigenous stories, this has been an issue for a really long time now where there is a stereotype that we only write memoir and we don't write anything else and obviously Indigenous people have written memoir, we've written fantastic memoirs but that's not all that we are and it's not the only way we tell stories. But another issue can arise with this is that if you are saying to a marginalised person, your only pathway to being heard is to write memoir, that's it, and you take that choice away from them, that has real difficulty because writing these stories, writing these stories as true stories, firstly, it can quite literally put people's lives in danger.
0: As in being re- re-traumatizing. It's or?
1: re-traumatizing, and it can be if there's any kind of violence from another person, yeah. and you're putting that story in the public domain. That's a problem. Uh, it, it also means that you're you are really asking people. You know, if people don't want to write memoir, there's a reason for that. So what you're effectively saying to a lot of people is you have got to violate your boundaries and the boundaries of your families and the boundaries of the communities just in order to be mm. heard. And we said very clearly from the start that we are not putting anybody in that position. Anyone who wants to write memoir, thank fantastic, go for your life. But people have to be given the choice of how they want to tell their stories. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, one of the
0: really notable things about Meet Me at the Intersection is the really, really broad range of forms and genres in the anthology. So there is memoir, there's also historical fiction, poetry, dialogue, speculative fiction. Um, So it's quite interesting that You got a lot of comment from publishers that they were only interested um, in memoir. Um, Did you find that the publishers that you spoke to had a good level of awareness about the need in Australian publishing for Own Voices books. Was that something that they were already on board with or was there a certain amount Mm, of...?
1: To a degree. I think there's more awareness now than there was then. Yeah. Yeah, So I think awareness is is definitely growing. Uh, And the publisher we ended up with was, of course, Fremantle Press, and I've worked with Fremantle Press for many years. So I actually would have approached them initially, except that when we very first started this project, Fremantle Press has a mandate to publish West Australian voices. And so when this kicked off, I was the only West Australian voice, and I was like, well, that's not enough, so I can't approach them because we don't know who else is going to be in the anthology but at the point at which we started getting authors and we had a number of west australian voices then i knew that i could approach Fremantle, Uh, and so i approached them i said look we've got this project what do you think Uh, and Fremantle were wonderful you know they were accepting of however we wanted the stories told they were happy for the authors to tell the stories in any way they wanted to and they were just fantastic partners for this project brilliant um what do you think it is
0: about Fremantle Press that's made them them so open to this in a way that perhaps some other publishers in Australia weren't? Is it a matter of the people working there, kind of a a
1: culture at the publisher? I think it's a few things. So they're a small press and they're also a press that retains a lot of corporate memory. So they're they're not a press with a high turnover of staff and they're a press that's worked certainly with a whole lot of different Indigenous writers on a whole lot of different projects across a lot of years. So they've gained a lot of experience doing that and... They are a press which has long had an interest in working also with other diverse writers. So I think that really helped and it helped that I had a strong relationship with them going back many years. So I was working with people who I knew. That's brilliant. Um,
0: Did the authors in the anthology come to you easily or did you have to kind of use, you and Rebecca have to use your personal networks and other methods to find the writers and stories um, that... That best match your hopes and aspirations for the anthology? No,
1: it wasn't at all difficult so to every publisher who's ever told me it's really hard to find re- diverse voices it really that's wasn't. just not true, <laughs> yeah. it's not true. We essentially just asked around. So some of these were people that we already knew and that we knew were interested in writing and of course being an anthology you start out with, you know, you've got these people and they're interested and then along the way things happen and so a lot of the original people who were going yeah. to contribute then couldn't contribute which is always the way with an anthology. Yeah. But we never had any issue finding replacements. Yeah. So we had some personal context, we asked around one of the authors, um, Jess Walton, was someone I found on Twitter, because I saw yeah. her tweeting commenting on the lack of representation of people in, with a disability. And I was like, hey, want to write for this anthology, you know, you'd be great. So it was really easy. Everyone take note, it's yes. very, very
0: easy to <laughs> find fresh new authors. Um it's obvious from the title of the anthology Meet me at the intersection that um, notions of intersectionality are forefront in this anthology um, it's obviously something that's really important to um, yourself and Rebecca um, Could you speak about the importance um, of showing intersectional identities and including them um, and how it, in this anthology and how it kind of altered or um, informed the way that that you and Beck worked on
1: this collection so I think intersectionality, light diversity, it's just the world. It's what the world looks like and yet it's so poorly represented in fiction. So I think the second you gather together a group of own voices writers, you will inevitably have an intersectional connection because that's reflective of their lives and of all of our lives. And certainly in relation to Indigenous writers, one of the things that we are all always saying is pointing to the diversity of Indigenous Australia and saying, you know, we are many peoples, we have many stories, we live many lives, we have all these intersections in our lives, we are are not just one story. And that is a equally true of all other groups. So at the point at which we gathered together all these own voices, people, and we had them writing to their own marginalisation, they are inevitably writing intersectional material because that is reflective of the realities. And then you put all those stories together in one volume and you just have, I think, the most beautiful sense of connections across all the stories and the way in which all those lives, these points of connection and divergence in all the stories in between each other as well.
0: That's right. I mean, the um, anthology is is very beautifully kind of arranged with First Nations stories up front um, and then sort of flows through various different identities. But it's very clear that there's different threads running through the entire anthology. And it's really, I think, a strength of the collection. Um were you quite hands-on in the editing process? Were you and Rebecca quite hands-on or did you work with an in-house editor at Fremantle Press? There was, but once? Beck and I
1: took on a lot of the editing. Yeah. And, and we'd said that from the start that, look, we will, we will do uh, the editing on this because we know this is a big project and it's a lot of people to be in yeah. contact with and it's a lot of different stories. And obviously, Beck and I have different areas of expertise. Yeah. Uh, so we, we use those areas uh, to work with people from lots of different groups. And it was just such an enjoyable process to be able to work with people both people who, for me, were Indigenous, so obviously those are a background I know very well because it's my background, but also people who are not people who come from groups that I don't belong to, and empowering those voices and enabling those voices and just helping them to be heard in the way that they wanted to be heard was just so immensely rewarding. Great. Um during that editing process,
0: um, working with these authors, who I should say, you know, some of them are very established and some of them are emerging writers, um, did you become newly aware of some of the factors that were, were holding some of these writers back um, in expressing themselves or were there their challenges um, that you weren't aware of um, with, with some of your
1: authors? I think it's mostly, I mean, I, I maintain... Uh, what I hope is a pretty good level of awareness. So I read continually and I yeah. read what people from within the groups are saying continually all the time trying to keep up and trying to expand my awareness. So I had that awareness but I think do think that's a different thing to then seeing those barriers in action yeah. and, you know, dealing with people actually dealing with the barriers. So it was just so nice to be able to have people and work with them to get those stories told just in the way that they wanted to tell them. Yeah,
0: I think it really shows actually in the in the final product. I get a really, it's uh, it's such a pleasurable collection to read and it's because the voices are so distinct, they're so personal, they're extremely unique. Um, I found kind of my expectations constantly mm-hmm. confounded by the stories um, in this anthology. Um I'd just like to talk about, um, I guess, change within Australian literature. So, I guess certain types of stories and authors occupy a central position in Australian literature and publishing, Um, and I think there's perhaps a sense by many, many people, authors, editors, publishers, booksellers like myself, that things don't seem to be changing quickly about the kind of stubbornness of certain types of stories being central. I'm just wondering, just through your experience um, yourself as an author and working on this anthology, what types of opportunities do you think have the most meaning for
1: marginalised writers? I would just think any opportunities. I think it's still really tough. yeah, Uh, And that there hasn't been the change that we all would have hoped and wanted there to be. I know, for example, that I am often having literally word for word the same conversations that were had by the generation of Aboriginal writers before me. Yeah. So these are conversations that have been happening for a really long time, decades, yeah. and still no change. Uh, and that's really to do with the need for systemic change. Yeah. You know, so there's always been some individuals who are, you know, very good and who are working for change, but it hasn't reached the level of having an impact on the systems and we need that systemic change. I do think that there's a growing momentum for systemic yeah. change and there's certainly a push from a lot of the changes that are happening in the US that are influencing us here and there's been some big changes in US literature but we're not there yet. So we need to create those opportunities and be constantly aware of uh, creating those opportunities for marginalised voices to be heard. And one of the things I ha- think that has happened is that a lack of diverse voices in literature has been persistently misdiagnosed as a diversity problem. You know, yeah. It's a problem with the voices. There aren't enough voices. Diverse peoples don't have stories to tell. Uh, but... A lack of diverse voices is not a diversity problem. It's not caused by diverse peoples. It is caused by a system of structures, behaviours and attitudes that persistently privilege one set of voices over another. So it's a privilege problem. Yeah. And you cannot solve a privilege problem by more privileged voices writing to the lives of the marginalised. You can only solve it by enabling the voices of the marginalised to speak to their own lives and by dismantling the structures of privilege that are preventing those voices speaking. And that's where I think the focus needs to be. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Um...
0: Just like to talk, actually, listeners can't see this, but I will tell you that "Meet Me at the Intersection" has a really, really beautiful, vibrant orange cover. Um, and actually, Anne Boleyn's personal contribution to the anthology was was this cover, which um, she painted and illustrated. Um, I'm really envious of people that can um, can do art and write at the same time. So I'm very intrigued by it. Um, for you, are writing and illustrating two really separate activities, or are they two sides of the same? same coin for no you. for
1: me it's all storytelling so yeah. and obviously uh, aboriginal people have long told stories through art and i do really enjoy being able to tell a story through art there's something so immediate about it yeah and and so universal about it in the way that anyone can look at a painting and, and feel a connection yeah. to it and, and gain a sense of it great um
0: not only I'll just talk a little bit more more about about you as a person. Um, not only can you paint and draw beautifully and write beautifully, um, but your other career is as an academic at the University of Western Australia Law School. Um, where you, I think, I guess, come into contact with many young students. Um, do you find your work within legal academia at all similar to your work as a writer and illust- an illustrator?
1: Look, I, I think, and someone actually asked me in a class the other day, what's the difference between novels and illustrating and teaching? And I said, it's all storytelling. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose that's very much my attitude to it. Uh, and Larissa Brent, who is an Indigenous writer and lawyer, legal academic, has pointed to the connection between law and stories and and all the ways in which law and stories relate to each other. So I don't find it that different. And certainly the skills in being a storyteller, a lot of those skills are the skills of teachers. So to engage students with material and to be able to keep them interested through long classes and what are sometimes quite tedious legal judgments uh, is about being able to put it together in a way that has a little bit of a storytelling aspect yeah. to it so that you keep their interests. Oh, you sound like you would be a good lecturer to have. I think to do my best in your class. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I'd also just like to mention briefly, you've had, uh, as well as this anthology coming out, you've also had a novel published this month, Catching Teller Crow, um, which was written with your brother Ezekiel Quaymelina. And Ezekiel's also um, contributed a beautiful poem to Meet Me at the Intersection. Um, I cannot imagine writing a book with one of my sisters, um, <laughs> how did you come to write a, a book together with Ezekiel?
1: Oh well, my family actually works a lot together. Yeah, uh, so we, we've we've done a lot of projects together in the past, and we and we will again in the future. Zeke and I are very alike. Yeah. Uh, we uh have an understanding between us, so it's, it's very easy for us to work together. And we are both uh, strong in ways where the others aren't strong. So um, I'm better at plot. Uh, Zeke's really good at, at poetry. Yeah. So the a part of Catching Teller Crow is told in verse, and that poetry of it, that's really Zeke. Uh, yeah. So uh, we both worked on all sections of the novel, but it was him I relied upon to tell me when the rhythm you know, was right, and he yeah. checked all that and went over it because he has that sense of verse and rhythm that I don't have. Okay. You know? uh, whereas I worked a lot more on some of the prose sections, and yeah. I was able to say, okay, when is this right and when is it wrong, and how do we build the world and do all that yeah. kind of thing.
0: It wasn't as simple as he wrote the verse sections and you wrote the prose sections. We both worked on all of it, so we
1: basically swapped drafts between us. He wrote the first draft, I wrote the second draft, and then we both worked on all drafts thereafter. Okay, interesting. It's uh, it's a really
0: interesting book. It's not only you know combines verse and prose, but also combines elements, I guess, of different genres that don't always um, aren't always seen together. And it's sort of a ghost story and a supernatural element, um, and a crime thriller element too, as well. So. Just quickly, we always ask this question generally to to wrap things up in our podcast because we're booksellers, we're constantly (laughs) obsessed with recommending books and figuring out what we're going to read next. Um, Just like to ask you what you've been reading
1: recently that you would recommend to our listeners. So what I'm reading and rereading at the moment is a picture book so uh Rachel binseller who is an Aboriginal writer and publisher she works at Magabella books has written a picture book called Alfred's War I and love it's Alfred's about War. it's amazing yeah. it's about returning Aboriginal soldiers and this is a story that we've needed told for a really long time mm. uh, but we haven't had told and so this I think is one of the most important picture books ever to come out of indigenous Australia and why I have a particular interest in this book is, is not only the text but the illustrations so this is illustrated by an Aboriginal woman named Samantha Fry, and she hasn't done illustrating before. And from my own perspective as an illustrator, just looking at the text alone, I can see how extraordinarily difficult this story would have been to illustrate. And so her illustrations are incredible. And so this is a book that I'm spending a lot of time just sitting with and looking at and enjoying both for the beauty and complexity of the text and for the beauty and complexity of the way in which it was illustrated.
0: I can absolutely second that recommendation. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's a beautiful book. I was really ashamed to... Um, realised that I didn't know about that aspect of Australian history um, and it was quite a shock for me to to learn um, of the way that Aboriginal returning servicemen had, had been treated by our country. So um, it was both an education, as you said, a really beautiful book to pour over the art in it. So it's a fantastic picture book. Um, That is going to wind up our discussion, which Mm -hmm. could probably go on for hours because I'm endlessly um, intrigued and dismantling privilege in Australian (laughs) literature is a long-term project that's going to have to be attacked on all angles. And I think um, that Amberlynn and Rebecca have done an amazing job um, of of tackling it head on with this new Meet Me at the Intersection anthology. Um, If there are any young writers or aspiring writers um, listening to the podcast, I can highly recommend um, some of the really great Uh, initiatives done at Writers Victoria who have the Writability and Publishability um, programs there's also the Deborah Crass Prize um, to look up and also the Black and Write Fellowships and internships that are run so if you're a keen young writer or somebody that wants to break um, into publishing those are all things that you should consider um, checking out but Amberlynn, I would really, really love to thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. And congratulations to you and Rebecca Lim on the Meet Me at the Intersection anthology. Um, it's a really important and much-needed contribution um, to Australian publishing. Thank you. Thank you.